This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is hard sometimes, and there are many pathways in navigating the inevitable ups and downs of life. In riding these waves, I look to my yoga practice and also therapy. We all go through tough times like big life changes, periods of instability, conflict, or loss. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist entirely online, which is very convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. Take the questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. And if it's not the right match for you, no worries. You can change your therapist for no additional charge. Sometimes getting started in therapy is the hardest part. To make it a little bit easier, go to the link provided in the show notes or go to visit betterhelp.com slash yoga and podcast today to get 10% off your first month. Popping out in the sun, we welcome everyone. Gave a hundred and one, the goal is having fun. I'm happy, like I told ya. I'm stretching now, doing yoga, not stopping till it's over. Don't want the day to be done. I'm happy, like I told ya. I'm stretching now, doing yoga, not stopping till it's over. to Yoga and Podcast. This show highlights the science and brings the magic of yoga and mind-body practices down to earth for the everyday person to help you live your best life. I'm your host, Ashley Weber, a yoga and Pilates teacher and forever student who is oh so curious about all things yoga and. I'm super excited to share with you this upcoming conversation. Now let's sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode, y'all. Joining us on today's episode is speaker, performer, independent dancer, choreographer, and collaborator. She is an Austin icon whose impact on the local arts and culture has also been felt on the global scene. Please welcome to the show, Anurata Nainpali. How are you today, Anu? I am very well. Thank you, Ashley. And happy International Women's Day. Yes, also, yes. It is today. Yes, happy International Women's Day. And I feel like I'm seeing it, like people are really celebrating it this year. Yes. It's exciting. Yes, absolutely. So I'm happy to do this today. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a kind of a good almond, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to introduce yourself just a little bit more and share who you are in the world of yoga, who you are in the world of dance? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, I've been um, dancing since I was a young kid, but um, I'll just start my journey since I was in Austin, which is the last uh, 33 years. And uh, I started Austin Dance India here. And so I've been teaching um, technique and the technique that I teach is uh, a style of Indian classical dance called Bharatanatyam. So I've trained um, many, many youngsters and I I continue to to train uh, students up until pre-professional or professional level. And then I've been performing and collaborating with 
uh, lots uh, of wonderful, amazing local um, and touring artists here in Austin. So I've been very, very fortunate um, to do that. So I, I really like to collaborate with artists of different genres. Like I have, I'm part of a group that uh, does sort of American folk and country music, and I dance to that. Um, I danced with, uh, you know, tap, tap company and the ballet company and, and all kinds of things in between. So it's been, it's been a wonderful journey here in Austin. And as far as yoga goes, um, I, you know, I, I grew up watching my dad every morning doing his little morning routine that included some yoga. Oh, cool. And I was just always fascinated because he would stand on his head and I was like, oh, I want to be able to do that because he would do shivsasana every night, every morning. He was very disciplined. Wow. And um, so when I was very young, I would kind of join him and he kind of taught me how to do uh, shivsasana, I remember. But then as I got older, um, you know, in elementary school, middle school, it was like, oh, that's something for old people. That's what old people do to, you know. We run and we bike and stuff. That's what old people do. So uh -huh. I didn't really pay attention to it much. But then later, um, I guess after I had my kids in my 30s, um, I really got more interested in it. And I started taking classes uh, around town here in Austin. And um, then eventually when my oldest, uh, my son was in high school, um, I thought, oh, I'm really interested in this and I see connections with the dance. And so I really want to do teacher training. And mm. so I ended up uh, starting that and it was, you know, intensive weekends of, of teacher training. And then I suddenly realized, oh my gosh, my son is going to graduate and leave the house, you know, within a year or two. So I don't want to be giving up my weekends for this right now. So I did a year of it and then I put it on hold. Well, fast forward 10 years later, I thought, I don't know if I can actually pick this up. Actually, it was more than 10 years, probably 15, oh, wow. 15 years. And I thought, I don't know if I can even do this now, but I was taking uh, classes with somebody completely different at that point. And I thought, yeah, let me do it. And so I asked uh, them if, if they would offer, they were offering teacher training. And I said, I'd done, you know, a year of it with a senior teacher here, um, Peggy Kelly, who's a mm -hmm. senior Iyengar teacher. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh yes, of course, you can just take up where you left off. And so I did that and then I completed it. So I did the 200 hour teacher training and I was really, really proud of myself for doing that after that many years later, mm -hmm. um, being being older as well. Um, but yeah, I've been really happy with it because it's um, more than for my career, it's been just for me personally. Um, it's my personal practice. And again, I think my, my dad's influence, I'm, they're very disciplined about doing it every morning. Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of my routine and I'm just really grateful for it. So that's kind of my journey with, with yoga. I'm a perpetual practitioner and student. <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I love the idea of like having a parent model, a regular yoga practice. Like how cool is that to experience? Yes. Like that's, yes. That's yeah. Really I'm very cool. grateful for, he's no more, but I, I think about all the, the lessons learned from him about his, he was very disciplined, very disciplined mm. person. And 
um, yeah, I really ad admired that in him. Yeah. Cool. Well, I will talk more about yoga, but I'm curious about your background in uh, Indian dance. So what was the initial spark or exploration of traditional Indian dance for you? Yeah, well, I actually grew up um, outside of India, mostly. I grew up in um, Canada. I was born in India, but I uh, moved when I was a baby. And so we lived um, in many different cities in in Canada. And so when I was about five, we were in Edmonton, Alberta, out west. And um, during Diwali, which is a festival of lights in the winter, um, we had gone to sort of a community event. And um, I vaguely remember there was this young woman who did this dance and she was carrying little lights that were lit mm. on her palms. And she was doing all these incredible moves, like just waving them around and moving around it i was just fascinated at five years like i want to be able to do that and so i told my mom can i learn how to do that and then my mom contacted that young woman who happened to be i think she was a graduate student or something my mom told me all this later she was a graduate student or something at the university and asked if she would teach me a few lessons and those are my first lessons and my first fascination with Indian dance, but I don't know, it was probably just a few steps here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but I grew up wanting to become a physician. I was always oh. interested in medicine. My aunt, my dad's sister was a physician. And so I was always fascinated with that. Um, so dance was not really on my radar to be a career, but I was just always interested in it. But when I was a teenager, probably about 12, 13, I attended a performance of Bharatanatyam, which is a style that I do now. Mm. And it was a performer that came from Toronto. We were in another city by then. Um, and I just was taken by the, the drum that was mm. accompanying the music. It's a, it's a long, um, horizontally played drum, hand drum. And it has a real resonant bass and a real deep sound. And it just hit me deeply in my heart. I felt like I was home. Mm. I felt like this was so familiar to me. I know this, this is where I belong. And, um, you know, I was young at that time, but looking back, it just felt right. And so I, really got more and more interested in, in that and then eventually pursued this uh, got out of the idea of becoming a, a physician but always still interested in the healing arts and so mm. then my journey went elsewhere with the healing arts yeah wow um so those of us who are not familiar with traditional indian dancing is there a way you can define it or describe it for those who are unfamiliar Yes. So the kind of dance, so the, first of all, there are many styles of Indian classical dance. So mm. this is just one of them. There's many of them. Uh, now they probably about eight or nine styles. They have their own technique, their own movement language. Um, although some of them have the same text, ancient textbook, um, just like yoga is based on the yoga, Banini Yoga Sutras. Just like that, we have a Natya Shastra, which is our dance technique is based on this ancient text, which is in Sanskrit. Mm. Um, but 
they all grew regionally around the country. Um, and so they have their own technique. Um, and so the, the dance that I do is from the southern part of India, the deep south. It's called mm. Bharatanatyam. And since this is an audio experience, let me describe what that dance is like. This was done in the Hindu temples as a part of the ritual worship festivals that went on. And uh, there was a certain group of people that performed uh, the music and the dance for this purpose. They also performed in the royal courts because at that time, India was a series of kingdoms. It wasn't a democracy. Mm. And so the kings were the patrons. They were the ones who supported the dance and music communities. They gave them, you know, stipends and places to stay and all that. And so they would serve the king as well as the temples. And um, these, um, over time, uh, you know, the dance was done in the temples. It was done uh, in a small space. So if you can imagine a small uh, sanctum inside an old ancient temple and or in the corridor of the temple. So there's not a lot of space. And so the, the movements are sort of sculpting the space around you. So we don't move through space all that much. Oh. But we create different um, sculptured kind of positions. We use our hands and different hand symbols. We tell stories as well as we make different patterns in space. It's very grounded and geometric in shape mm. and usually wearing a colorful costume. Um, so that's sort of visually how I would describe it and sort of a little bit of the history of it. Yeah. Um, it's changed now. It's it's a stage. It's a theater art now, and so it's much more virtuosic. And you know, for the audience who buys a ticket to come and see it, and so it's it's become you know more with lighting design and fancy costumes, and you you want to use more of the space because you're in a large stage. But we still maintain many of the conventions, this the the mythology, the spirituality, and all of that 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 are from the, the you know the roots of this dance form well that really paints a picture your description um are there any misconceptions about what traditional indian dance is yeah i think i would say the biggest one is that there is just one indian dance oh okay. like people think oh indian dance is just one there's only one kind of indian dance and that's it but there are so many classical forms and then there's hundreds of folk styles as well. And then there's the more popular version, which is Bollywood, which you see in the popular yeah. films, the film industry. That's a whole other, you know, they, they include a lot of like hip hop and it's, it's very um, entertainment. Mm. So the kind the classical dances are not really. Um, it's much more than entertainment. It's more of a spiritual journey. Uh, all the traditional arts, the classical traditional arts, whether it's painting, sculpture, dance, music, any of these, the fine arts, they were all meant, just like yoga, through the physical practice, it's meant to uh, reach something higher and to mm -hmm. connect within ourselves and within something higher. 
than us. So that's really the goal of the traditional arts, which makes it, which sets them apart from the popular arts, which are more just for entertainment. Mm, I see. Yeah. Well, so you kind of answered my next question I'm about to ask you, and I'm there, I'm thinking there's room to elaborate on um, how are the yoga asanas and Indian dance connected? Well, in many ways, um, I would say that, um, first of all, the spiritual connection with the two, because they are both physical practices and you could easily just do it as a physical practice. And I've heard this, I've gone to classes where, okay, guys, we're going to get a good workout in, in the yoga class. And I'm like, mm, that's not why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you get a very good workout doing dance, but that's not what it's about for me, at least. Mm. Um, so the, I think the yoga and, 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 um, these traditional classical dances definitely have that in, in common that they're actually a spiritual journey with beauty and joy and personal growth and and um connecting to something higher mm. and it's a way of when you pursue that and you practice it this is something you you know with yoga as well as with with bharatanatyam we're practicing the same you know the asanas the same asanas we're going to do trikonasana you know hundreds and thousands of times, but we're still going to keep doing it, trying to get deeper, trying to find some depth in, in that asana. Same thing with the adavus. The adavus are the basic ABCs of the dance. Oh. We keep doing them over and over and over, trying to find some depth and some nuance in there and some way to connect um, in, in a different way. And so I think that sort of dedicated practice and then also the offering the offering of, <clears throat> excuse me, the offering of your practice to something that is higher. So you're surrendering, mm. you're surrendering your practice to something that is beyond you. And I think that takes it to a different place and takes it away from just being a workout or a physical practice. Um, and then I would say another thing that I can think of is the attitude towards the body mm. and space as well so like i mentioned in the past the dance was created so you don't really need a lot of space and yoga is the same all you need is the space that your body takes up to do yoga you don't need to move around so much and have a lot of space and i think uh the economy of space mm -hmm. that uh, from which these traditions were born is something to be considered here because, you know, perhaps it's because of a practical reason. I know in the, in the form, in the um, instance of dance, it is because that's where they were performing it in, in smaller spaces mm -hmm. during certain mm -hmm. rituals. Um, and perhaps for yoga, it might've been the same thing that they were, many people performing it or maybe they thought about this this is how you can uh do this physical practice uh with economy of space mm. um, and so that's sort of a more sort of basic 
or material kind of um, um, connection between yoga and dance. The others are sort of more how they are spiritual um, mm. in nature. But I think even physically, the stances, some of the stances that we have within space, you can see connections, the way we stand, the way we would lunge, the way we would, you know, the geom geometry of the, the lines and so on. There's a lot of similarity with yoga. Well, so when I think of yoga and I think of kind of the more spiritual side, I think of things like the chakras or mm -hmm. connecting to source. And I'm just curious about the, the dance part of that. Like, is that, can you access the chakras? Can you connect to source? Like what, uh, could you elaborate a little more on like the spiritual side, at least for dance? Cause I, I guess both yoga and dance, but, um, cause I imagine people who are listening kind of might have an idea of like what that means to be spiritual within the yoga practice, but finding spiritual spirituality within dance might be a little less tangible maybe. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the chakras are not necessarily something that we consciously think about uh, while we're dancing. That's sort of, a, I would say, a separate um, sort of tradition. Mm -hmm. But definitely this uh, connecting to higher self or, or higher uh, place is definitely a part of the, the dance practice. So we start our practice with a couple of different things. One is a namaskar, and we've all heard of namaste. Yeah. So namaskar means the same thing. Oh. It's just a different ending for that same word. Namahate, I honor you. Mm -hmm. um, and so namaskar is basically, we do that in a dance form, and, and we are honoring Mother Earth. Mm because we're stamping upon her while we're dancing, we're jumping, we're kicking. And so, because Mother Earth is the life giver, we ask forgiveness for now we're about to stamp on you, please forgive us, but we're just dancing. <laughs> so it's a very sweet thing that we do at the beginning. And to me, what that indicates, and you know, the feeling that, that I have is that we are this, my body is not separate from this earth. Everything is connected. Everything is connected. So you start with a feeling of gratitude and connection. Mm -hmm. Then we have certain mantras that we say also at the beginning of a class usually. Uh, and that is to honor uh, Shiva. Mm. And Shiva is the, actually the god of dance. And so the, the Nataraja, which is a, uh, um, a dancing Shiva, he, you know, if you look at the sculpture, <clears throat> it's sort of a microcosm of the macrocosm. So mm. microcosm of the universe. And so it's like he's in motion, but he's steady. And so it's like atoms are all in motion, but here we have matter. Mm. but it's all in motion it's all energy and so we have a mantra that is honoring him as his body is the entire universe mm. and his 
Uh, do you mind if I say the, the shloka, the mantra? Not at Can all. I, say I the love it. Okay. <clears throat> Angikam Bhuvanam Yasya Vachikam Sarva Vangmayam Aharyam Chandra Taradi Tam Namaha Satvikam Shivam. So what that means, and it's in Sanskrit, uh, what it means is that um, his, whose body is the entire universe, mm. whose speech are all sound, all sounds that we hear are his speech, whose jewels are the moon and the stars. To him I bow this pure Shiva. And when we talk about the pure Shiva, that pure Shiva is really not physical Shiva or the universe, but it's that consciousness that is beyond the physical. And so when you start with these, you know, with this frame of mind, what you do after that in the dance is an offering to that. And at the end of the end of your class or your practice or your performance again we end with namaskar mm. to mother earth and again we bow to shiva as well so we're sort of um i would say connecting offering and um channeling Mm. that energy into us so it's both ways you're invoking that energy and you're channeling that energy mm -hmm. both ways so that's sort of the connection with with dance and spirituality it's very for sacred me. yeah <clears throat> for Just me that. yeah at least how does the hindu mythology link to the non-binary Yes, that's a great question. Uh, we just recently did a performance on this subject, uh, exploring uh, gender and sexuality within Hindu mythology. And what I found was there are many, many examples of non-binary expression within Hindu mythology. Mm. Um, and while I was researching, I found more and more um, examples of queer stories mm. within it. And so they illuminate sort of the fluidity of these concepts and more importantly, the acceptance of that within the culture and society at that time. And I think um, for whatever reasons, multiple complex reasons over history and time, um, you know, there's there's been sort of a narrowing of definitions of gender and sexuality so that um, these things are not the fluidity is not accepted anymore much in the, in the culture generally. And so uh, I was very keen on uh, as I have for the last several years, uh, you know, to, to shine some light on certain issues that within our society um, where you can find examples of well, what about this? Here, here you go. This is in traditional mythology and culture. Why can't we, you know, accept um, that these these concepts are fluid? So I, I 
tried to do performances that illuminate different topics. Um, and this was, this was one of them that we did most recently because um, there's so many examples within Hindu mythology of, of this. Would you mind sharing one example? Yes. Um, the one, well, there's so many fascinating ones. The one that we added for this performance, because we did an online version of it, and then this was the, the live version. Um, there's a king named Bhagiratha, and he was very well known for bringing the, the sacred river Ganga, mm -hmm. the Ganges River that, mm -hmm. that flows in the north of India. Um, it's a sacred river for Hindus. Uh, they say if you bathe in that river, all your sins will be washed away is the uh, because it's so pure. That's that's sort of the, the, the thinking. But in any case, uh, his father wanted to bring the Ganga from heavens down to earth, but he was unsuccessful. And then Bhagiratha. Uh, so the king died without an heir to the throne. He left his two. He had two queens. And he left them without any children. Mm -hmm. So the family priest told the two queens, you must become intimate and have an heir to the throne. Here's a potion for you to drink. Oh. So they do. And they were very, they had a close bond together anyway. Uh -huh. And so they start to develop this relationship with each other. Mm-hmm. And soon one of the queens becomes pregnant. And so they have this son, but that child is tragically born without a skeletal system, without the bones. Oh no. And when I started researching a little bit more and more into this, it's because apparently child, the baby gets the bones from the father and the flesh from the mother is the sort of thinking oh, behind okay. it. Okay. And so because the child did not have a father, didn't have bones. So anyway, they're like, the two queens are just, you know, distraught about this. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, there is a wise sage who comes by. And his name is Ashtavakra. Ashtavakra means eight. Vakra means bends, bend or um, deformities. Oh, and so he's actually born physically challenged himself. Mm -hmm. And when he sees this baby, he actually blesses him with good health mm. when he sees the baby. And so as the baby grows up, it becomes normal and he grows up to become a, a, a very uh, great king himself. And he continues to pursue this um, dream that his father had of bringing the Ganga from the heavens down to earth. And he's successful. He's successful. He does do that. And so growing up or reading, you know, mythology, I knew that Bhagiratha was the one who brought the Ganga to earth, but I knew nothing about his birth. Mm -hmm. But apparently his name Bhagiratha means the one who was born of two wombs. Wow. Because he was born of two queens. He grew so, up to have bones once he was blessed? He was okay. blessed and then he had bones, bones. and he, he grew up normally. I see. Absolutely, yes. And then he became exalted and known for bringing the Ganga 
to earth so that people could you know purify themselves within this water the waters yeah so i thought that story i mean there's so many fascinating stories but this one so was fascinating so fascinating the the details and you know all these things that 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 happen just uh, fantastical things are happening. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Thank you for sharing that. That was yeah, really Yeah, cool. of course. You touched on it a little bit, but maybe there's more to the um to this answer. What is the common thread of yoga dance and the healing arts? Yeah, I like that you added healing arts in there because <laughs> that's sort of um that's coming full circle for me as well. Um so I think, yeah, definitely yoga and dance both arise from the same ancient Hindu culture. Mm -hmm. They have the texts that they're based on are, um, you know, these Sanskrit, ancient Sanskrit text. Um, and even ancient healing practices like Ayurveda, mm -hmm. right, are the same. They're, they're based on uh, ancient Sanskrit textbooks, and <clears throat> they they also sort of have a spiritual side to them. It's not mm -hmm. just oh, take some herbs and you know call me in the morning kind of thing. There are many there's spiritual practices that you have to do along with with um, um, the the physical part of it, and even with chakra healing, same thing. All of these healing arts, I think, are all connected. Um, because again, they, they, the common thread to me is surrender to a higher purpose. Mm. Each of these, that, that surrender to a higher purpose is, I think, the essence of, of all of them. Because each of the practices goes beyond just the physical body. Mm -hmm. And um, so they go beyond the physical and they go into the metaphysical. Oh. Beyond just... Uh, doing a posture or a step mm -hmm. or taking an herb. It's, it's much beyond, beyond all of that. And so I think they offer a way to connect to ourselves and to something higher that is true and authentic. Mm -hmm. if, if they're practiced that way with that intention, mm -hmm. they can be a physical practice. They are a physical practice. Let's yeah. put it that way. <laughs> they are a physical practice. I mean, you're, you're, st you're doing asanas, you're doing steps, you're taking herbs, but there's so much more that it can, they can be uh -huh. if done that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great way to explain That's kind of my that. take on it. But yeah. I'm so glad that you, add, you added the, the healing arts because my um, desire to become a physician sort of has come full circle in a different way. I last year decided that I would um, do an online training certification to become a health and wellness coach. Oh. And so I just completed that um, this January. So I'm a certified health and thank you. I'm an integrative health and wellness coach. And I'm about to launch that as a part of my offerings shortly. Cool. So I'm, yeah. And and Ayurveda is definitely a big part of it. I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner or, or coach by any means, but um, much of my background is there just through my uh, family, my cooking um, and, and journey, personal journey. So that's definitely going to be uh, integrated into my, my 
practice as well. So, yeah. And care to explain Ayurveda for those who are unfamiliar? Yes. Ayu, Ayu means health. And so Ayurveda is uh, the ancient uh, form of maintaining good health. So it's a lot of people call it the sort of ancient um, medicine, Indian uh, medicine, medical uh, practice, if you will, uh, based on nature, mm -hmm. natural herbs, and food. Mm. So it's really food as medicine, herbs as your medical cabinet, your spice rack is your medical cabinet, <laughs> medicine <laughs> cabinet. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, where can people find you online, out in the world? Um, yeah, well, uh, online, I have a website, uh, austindanceindia.com. And I do teach uh, classes now, but I have not been expanding that part of my uh, offerings. I've not been taking any new students for the last like six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. I'm just servicing the students I have at the moment. I'm because I usually mentor them for 10, 12 years. And so um, not taking any new students at this point. But AustinDanceIndia.com will have all upcoming events and etc on that. And then uh, the usual suspects, Instagram at Anu Dances, uh, Facebook, Anu Nainpali, Austin Dance India, and then on YouTube, uh, Anuradha Nainpali. And in real life, in the world, uh, you can find me in local theaters, collaborating with people or doing my own productions. Uh, I also do a lot of school, arts and education, museums, libraries, etc. And my upcoming production actually, which I can uh, announce now, is a collaboration with the Austin Opera. Oh! For their spring show, which is coming up in at the end of April and beginning of May. Ooh. And they're doing a show called The Pearl Fishers. So Austin Dance India, myself, two other uh, senior dancers, and then some of my younger kids will also be in that production. Great. Oh, so. that's so exciting. I'll have to come check yeah. it out. Yes. Thank you so much for being on the show, Anu. It was so good to connect with you and all of the links you mentioned, all the places online to find you. I'll link in the show notes. So those who are listening, you're just one click away from connecting with Anu. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Ashley. This was fun. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you receive value from the show, please write us a five-star review and or you can text this episode to just one friend who you know will love yoga and podcast. We thank you so much in advance for the huge favor. Word of mouth helps support the show in reaching a greater audience and we could not grow without you. If you want to connect with us, our email is yogaandpodcast at gmail.com. The and is spelled out Y-O-G-A-A-N-D podcast at gmail. Please follow us on Instagram at yoga and podcast. We are now on TikTok. The handle is also yoga and podcast. When you follow us, we will follow you right back on both platforms. Music is by Mama Duke. Graphics, guest booking, and media by me, your host, Ashley Weber. I am so grateful for you. Thank you for listening.